1: Great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have our first regular season edition of The Deciding Point where we break down all of the action. From the Division I college tennis world, of course, here on Tuesdays, we break down all the Division I women's action, and boy, did the Division I women's college tennis season get off to quite the start. We've already seen two top five teams do battle. We've already seen a top five team suffer back-to-back dual match losses. Obviously, we're going to break down everything that happened in San Diego this past weekend on today's show. Then... We had a couple of top 10 teams do battle, albeit in an individual fashion. A couple of invitationals. We want to talk about results, certainly pertinent to some of the upcoming dual matches, upcoming results we have moving forward throughout the course of the early portion of this 2024 season. And then, for the first time, we get to preview an exciting weekend in the college tennis world. Yes, we are still 10 days away from the start of kickoff weekend but you can circle this weekend as the, dare I say, quintessential start to a new college tennis year. We've got top 10 teams doing battle. We've got that road trip, Oklahoma hosting Michigan, uh, Ohio State. Excuse me, I'm so excited I can't even get the team straight again. You have Michigan, Ohio State returning the favor after Oklahoma. Oklahoma State came north last year. They're making the trip down south to Oklahoma. You've got UNC Georgia, I believe, the third or fourth consecutive year. We've seen that as a pre-national indoors match. Texas heading out west. Can you tell how excited I am for the start of a new college tennis year? If you can't, I'll make that abundantly clear throughout the course of today's show. And if... It's a deciding point, talking about Division I women's college tennis, you know precisely the man who's going to join me to help break it all down. Of course, you all know him best as the, yes, the returning champion of returning champions here on our Crack Rackets podcast, founder of the No Ad No Problem blog and podcast, our beat reporter on the ground, hopefully at more matches than ever here in this 2024 season, and my dear friend, co-host of the regular season deciding point, it's John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. We've got college tennis to discuss. I'm losing my voice already. How are you feeling, my friend?
0: I'm excited. Normally, this first week is my least favorite week of the season. (laughs) I despise these invitationals because they often ignore some of the standard lineup protocols and you see players in different places and players are losing matches that you're not really sure why and then it all gets sorted out in the wash once the regular season really kicks off so thank goodness we actually had a regular few dual matches to discuss as well and obviously there's a lot to chew on with these invitationals but normally i feel like this week is just the invitationals and it's like Man, this is a mess. Was I totally wrong with my preseason takes? And, (laughs) but yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to see you in this listeners can't see this, but these renovated digs, it's going to be quite the show on the unveiling in the coming weeks. Well, I'm glad
1: you bring that up to start today's episode. Again, we're going to get into all the tennis. You're right. There was lineup integrity to these invitationals in ways maybe in past seasons there haven't been. Maybe that speaks to the parody we have in women's college tennis this year. Every coach wants to see their best players face the other team's best players just to know what those matchups are going to look like moving forward. But the biggest breaking development of this 2024 season isn't happening on the court. It's happening off the court. To Jay's point, the recently renovated Crack Rackets studio that I have been promising to listeners for the past month. We are a day away from making mini-break podcasts public on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, and we are now officially a week away from the start of our YouTube editions of these deciding points. Yes, we'll continue to po- post them Wednesday and Thursday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel or late Tuesday night, late Wednesday night. Those will be available on the Great Shot podcast feed. But we're going to be up on YouTube live, I'm going to guess, roughly 9 p.m. Eastern time. That worked for you, Jay? That's, that feels about right. He's shaking his head, listeners, as if to indicate yes. Yes. We'll do Tuesday nights for the women, Wednesday nights for the men. Uh, Again, a lot of great college. Jay didn't even know that was the schedule. That's a surprise to him as well as this recently renovated Crack Racket studio. But that will be the schedule moving forward. Very much looking forward to showing off the new studio. Very much looking forward to getting back on YouTube, engaging, interacting with all of you listeners as we do this show. So hopefully all of you will turn there, watch these shows live. I promise we're going to have a lot of fun as, again, if weekend number one was any indication, it's going to be an awesome college tennis season. We got some real results right off the bat to discuss tonight, Jay. And I, you know, it's funny. Week one show, usually one of the shorter shows, I would argue that we have in the 2024 season or at the... Throughout the course of any given season.
0: No, it's the weird season when the Big Ten decides to play their conference tournament (laughs) a week later, and that's the only results we have. And it's like Michigan, Ohio State, round three. How did it go? That's the shortest episode.
1: That's true. I will say, though, this year, I don't want to get ahead of myself because we haven't crossed any T's or dotted any I's. Jay, your boy might be playing a role in the NCAA selection show this year. And I just want to leave that there. We're just going to, again, that's a little, that's a tease for something I'm really hoping comes to fruition come April, late April, early May, because...
0: You're going to be pulling the names out of a hat?
1: Oh, I mean, (laughs) all right. All right. We're going to do the elevator. You know what? No, I'll tell you off, Mike, what I'm really excited for because I have a lot of thoughts of things I'd like to incorporate. And we're not going to do all of them, but there are some things I think I can convince people to do. Anyways, I got to make sure I get the role first, but I think I might just get it. So we got a new studio, selection shows, broadcasts coming up. We've got two this weekend that, yes, we are going to discuss when we preview the week ahead, dare I say, two of the best matches we have, or three of them, on the calendar this weekend. By the way, here's one last important update for all of you listeners, and then I swear we're going to talk college tennis. Chris Hallioris' website, College Tennis Ranks, an essential resource for any college tennis fan. He has promised me he will have both the week ahead and the week behind features, which so adequately feature the schedules of every college tennis match we have throughout the course of any given moment on the calendar. He promises to have them back up by the end of this week, which I'm not going to lie, not having them made doing today's exercise prepping for this pod a little bit harder. So some great news for all you college tennis fans out there.
0: Yeah, I heard him say, oh, we'll get it up by kickoff weekend. And, I, you know, I didn't want to be selfish, but I'm like, Chris, that's a little too late.
1: Oh, I was <laughs> selfish. I was like, Chris, that's way too late. I texted yeah. him today and go, my friend, I'm trying to prep for a pod. What the f <laughs> Like, where is it at? And I said that in the nicest way possible. And Chris, as only he could, laugh and goes, all right, I'll get, I'll get my act together. I'll have it up by the end of this week. So a shout-out to College Tennis Ranks if you haven't. Go check that out. As Jay alluded to, by the way, shout-out to the ITA rankings pages. Now, you can click on these players, find some of their individual matches. It helps make tracking everything a little bit easier, particularly coming off of the individual fall. But we're now in the team spring And we have dual matches to discuss. So, Jay, let's get into it. What a first weekend. We had no dipping of the toes. It was straight shots, no chasers. Let's get into the action. Let's start with the chaos in San Diego. We had not a dual, not a quad, but a trio of teams come together in San Diego to all compete against one another head-to-head. You had Stanford, You had Texas A&M, again, two of your preseason top five teams. And then you had a San Diego squad who, let's remember, made the national indoors last year. Five out of six starters returning, I believe, from last year's lineup. So a lot of experience there. Certainly, we thought the tennis was going to be good no matter what. We did not think Texas A&M was going to be the team that leaves the weekend 0-2. And yet, Jay, that's precisely the hand we were dealt as preseason number two Texas A&M falls in each of their first two dual matches of the season, 5-2 loss to San Diego, 4-3 loss to Stanford. Now, it is worth noting in the San Diego match, they elected to play without Mary Stoyana in the singles lineup. They pulled the number one player in the nation from their lineup in between doubles and singles, or maybe they have the plan not to play her the entire time, but they lost that doubles point, elected to pull her anyways. San Diego punished them for that fact let's start there after san diego takes a pretty convincing doubles point, 6-2 wins at the two and three spots san diego earning straight set victory uh, a straight set victory at the number four spot elizabeth goldsmith 0 two over jeanette morales after that uh straight set win for san diego sophomore mia mac two and three over mia kupris and then again they needed a three, one of four three-set matches to go their way. They got two of them, whether it was uh, Philippa Brew-Severson, and I am certain I butchered her pronunciation, but talk about a win for the junior coming over from UC Santa Barbara a couple of years ago. She slots into the number six spot, six-love in the third over Ellie Pittman. Of course, the highlight result at the top of the lineup, Claudia Dillas-Harris, uh, the junior, six-two in the third, over 31st-ranked Nicole Kieran, but... Again, J.S., there were four three-set matches. It was a 2-2 split. Freshman Luciana Perez winning her debut. Three sets over Abigail uh, Desietnikov. That's a very good win for Perez to kick off her campaign. Smetanikov, three sets over Kaylee Evans at five. The doubles was striking. Again, this is an A&M team that's been really good at doubles over the past couple of seasons as they've ascended the college tennis ranks. And this is where maybe you feel the absence of Brandstein, Ewing, Goldsmith, that institutional know-how more than anything. You know, again, Stoyana and Kupras were up 5-3, but they got it taken to them pretty convincingly at the number two doubles spot. And by the way, they uh, dropped the doubles in the Stanford match as well. So an 0-2 weekend, not just uh, overall, but 0-2 in and doubles. And more broadly, Jay, this is a team that lost, what, one regular season match, I believe, in each of the last two years, or if you're including national indoors, I guess, and, and, and conference tournaments, a combined three total matches heading into the NCAA tournaments over the last two years. They've now taken two losses in the opening weekend. Your reaction first to that San Diego match?
0: Well, yeah, first time they've lost back-to-back matches since 2019. This Texas A&M team has been that good. I think you definitely saw and felt the absence of players like Carson Branstein, J.C. Goldsmith, Salma Ewing in doubles. And certainly we knew those absences on paper, but it wasn't until seeing their departures in the flesh where this Texas A&M team is really struggling at doubles. And I... Part of that is that they're relying on new pieces like Luciana Perez, who didn't play a lot, didn't play any college events in the fall, but probably didn't play that much doubles. But this is going to be potentially a huge Achilles heel for the Texas a and team. They looked all out of sorts in these doubles matches, and it has traditionally been such a strength for them. It was then exacerbated by the fact that they then pull Mary Stoyana from singles, which in the moment felt like a very odd decision and in hindsight it feels even odder because in the previous day this San Diego team had swept Stanford at five and six so you knew that this San Diego team was solid at five and six and Texas A&M those are probably their weakest spots so to pull Mary Stoyana was a very odd decision and I don't know if she was a little banged up I don't know if she was a little sick I don't know what it was but in hindsight, it was a very dangerous proposition. But yeah, I thought it was. this was more about San Diego. I thought Texas A&M looked a little flat in some of these positions. Certainly surprising to see Cooper's get knocked out in straight sets. Surprising to see Morales go down so easily at the four spot. Overall, I thought Texas A&M looked surprised by how solid this San Diego team was.
1: I'm glad you framed it that way. And certainly, again, we'll take note of the Morales going from four to six in that Stanford match. Smitanikov staying at that number five spot in a moment. But you're right. As striking as this A&M loss was, they are working in some new pieces. They do have a lot to figure out as it relates to doubles. And to see this veteran San Diego team come out and take it to them. And earn the only two straight set victories of the match and play them 2 2 in deciding sets. A team that is as deep as any. I know, again, they played Pittman, no Stoyana in the singles lineup, but a team that's still one through five. You figured they liked their chances in each of those matches, thus comfortable pulling Stoyana. And, you know, San Diego was the more experienced, dare I say, the tougher team down the stretch. And again, they don't have any freshmen in their lineup. Their youngest player in their singles lineup was sophomore Mia Mack, who's 89 in the country right now and has ascended to that number two spot. You feel pretty good uh, with her in that position. Yeah, the biggest takeaway is that this San Diego team is real because not only do they— win this match against Texas A&M, to your point, they played Stanford extraordinarily tough. A 5-2 win for Stanford. San Diego getting three set wins at the five and sp- uh, six spots. Dillas Harris going three sets with Angelica Blake. Again, pretty tightly contested at just about every spot, but number two where Connie Ma kind of gave Mia Mac the business. You look for this San Diego team as it relates to kickoff weekend. Again, they pulled off one of the bigger upsets last year. They've got Wake Forest round one. Then they would probably, not probably, they'll take on a Florida team in round number two. That's a lot of experience, a lot of depth across the board. Talk about an important doubles point. You probably lean Florida given their success in doubles in particular down the home stretch of last season and the continuity of the teams they bring back, but... Man, if San Diego – you know, again, San Diego with this result puts Florida on upset alert. That now becomes one of your most intriguing kickoff weekends of the kickoff weekend.
0: Well, one of us mentioned that in our Florida preview, and the other (laughs) one was like, I don't know about that. But here we are a few months later. So, yeah, I absolutely think this San Diego team can give Florida a tough test. We'll talk about Florida a little bit later on. But, yeah, it was – I think it helps this San Diego team that the, so it was a trio. So not everyone played every day and having losing that Stanford match on day one, and then being able to come out a little bit, uh, with the chip on their shoulder, right, against Texas A&M, who hadn't yet played a match. That did, I think, favor San Diego to be able to come out and try and avenge their Stanford loss, whereas Texas A&M was opening their season. That probably factored into it as well. But this San Diego team is very Even across the board, you look at their top four, particularly top five. If Kaylee Evans continues to get healthy, those are all very even players. There's very little drop off from one through five there. So they can compete with anyone at any of these positions. And you saw them do that this weekend.
1: Even six and seven, Bruce Severson, 2-0 on the weekend, wins over Stanford at a and That's a heck of a weekend. McBride gets a win over Stanford. Evans three sets as she works her way back, tries to get healthy against Smetanikov. San Diego real good. Like they they've got themselves a team. And again, if you're Pepperdine, you are ecstatic about this victory for San Diego. Just a little thing there because obviously they're in the same conference. Pepperdine needs those uh dare I say what's the term? Um needs that boost right. from the rankings yeah. perspective. Yeah. Ranked wins. It's as simple as that. Yeah, ranked wins. All that it's matters. As simple as that. And San Diego now. Because I, I think we'd all expect Texas AM to bounce back. Again, they're very young, very talented. It's not like they got blown out in any of these matches. They lost two of four three-set matches. Um, but yeah, if you're San Diego, top of the lineup looked good everywhere. Like, dilas Harris plays two competitive matches, three sets in both. You know, again, Mac after a, tight, uh, a tough loss against Stanford, bounces back with a win uh, against a Mia Kupras. That's some sophomore-on-sophomore sophomore Mia Crime. Fantastic opening weekend for San Diego. Sneaky big weekend for Stanford as well, who doesn't always have the most rigorous non-conference schedule for them to beat A&M, get a win over a San Diego team, who also, again, got a win over A&M. So a ranked win, as Jay pointed out so perfectly from a terminology standpoint for the Cardinal. The biggest thing if you're Stanford is you got wins everywhere over the course of the weekend. You did the varsity version of what San Diego did, whether it was against San Diego, winning the doubles, uh, seeing your top four all earned victories, albeit Angelica Blake's three set win, third set breaker over DeLos Harris. You can throw that out, though. They didn't need it. Against AM, it was the bottom of the lineup Blakina, Huey, Valencia, Shu, which, by the way, it was Elena Yu who got the choice, moved to the bench. Another correct take by Jay to start the season. They go Blakina five, Huey, uh, Excuse me, Blakina four, Hui five, Valencia Shu at six. I mean, again, in in the A and M match, the kicker, the doubles point. Stanford taking doubles in both matches, getting wins by the way at two and three in both matches. Kanima, Alexandra Yepafanova, the two team. They went with freshman Catherine Huey junior Valencia Shu at three. They go two and zero oh on the weekend. It's a great start for the Cardinal. I feel like for everyone to get the feet wet. I haven't mentioned this yet, but. As interesting as Blokina four, way five, Shu, six, Blake, one, Ma, two, Yepa Fanova, who ended last season at number one at three. It was a different Cardinal configuration maybe than you expected, Jay, but hey, you walk out of the weekend 2-0, and and I, I think they got to be feeling pretty good, particularly if Blochina is going to play this way at four. She was the 2-0 and Cardinal of all of them. A good start for them in an opening weekend.
0: Yeah, I thought Blokina looked fantastic. And for her to take out Luciana Perez, 4-1, and and to be the two straight set wins, she was looking fantastic. She looked better than any other player on the Stanford team, honestly. And yeah, it's interesting. Everyone got a win, which is good. I will say this Stanford team came out a little lifeless in this Texas A&M match. They, they dropped four first sets in singles, particularly at that top of the lineup. I thought Blake, Connie Ma, Fanova, Stanford really shouldn't be getting swept at one through three against anyone. For sure. So I do think that was something to look back on. I think there's some improvement there.
1: Can I give a counter? Just because on the flip side, there had to have been a desperation. To the Aggies after losing to San Diego, and in particular, Kieran and Kupras both suffering losses in the prior match on the prior day. Like, hell hath no fury, like a player who lost the day before and knows there's a little bit more desperation. Stoyana, as well, to not have been a part of that loss. I'm sure she felt like, man, like I should have just toughed it out and said, I'm playing at one coach, sorry, no matter what. And so there was some urgency at the top for the Aggies, not to speak to the fact that. Maybe Stanford didn't have that, but certainly you imagine it was there in spades for A&M to start the singles in that match.
0: Yeah, that's probably very fair, but you would expect one of the those two or three, one of Connie or Yepa Fanova to weather that storm, particularly being a little bit more seasoned than their, in this case, sophomore competitors. So overall, I mean, this assumes a Texas A&M bounce back because we don't know if this is a harbinger for bad things to come for Texas A&M, but absolutely for Stanford to bank an SEC win this early in the season, it pretty much never happens. (laughs) They, you know, are essentially relying on indoors maybe to get some ranked wins. And if that doesn't happen, they're sort of SOL down the home stretch, particularly with the way that Pac-12 has been the past few years. So this is going to buoy them significantly throughout the season.
1: Do quick grades before we wrap this. What do you give Stanford's weekend?
0: Uh oh, that's a good question. I give it a B every plus. So,
1: every so often, it's New Year. I like to throw <laughs> one good question at you. Yeah,
0: year. I, I go. I give it a B plus. I'd give it a ninety.
1: So, yeah, I might go A minus. Why I say A minus is they won the doubles in the same spots in both matches. That's something to build off of moving yeah. forward. And everyone gets a singles win, and maybe best of all is Bloquina is the one who goes 2 and 0. So I'd go A minus, but ninety ninety one 91 feels about right. Yeah. San Diego, 94, 95. It's, it's, I don't know if you can go, well, maybe you do go A plus because, again, they got to win over a top five team. Your season has started. You are now in a top 16 conversation. Maybe you weren't before.
0: It's the highest ranked win in program history. I think yeah. it's an A+. Plus.
1: Yeah, you know what? I take everything back. The depth is real. You were right, Jay. It's an A-plus for San Diego. If you're Texas A&M, I think your instant reaction is, oh, it's got to be a C-minus, C. But, like, it's a lot of new pieces. And it speaks to maybe the expectations were so lofty given how young this team is coming in. That said, I'm curious your grade.
0: <laughs> well, you just gave the preamble for why I shouldn't give the grade I would give. But, yeah, it would be like a C-. minus. Yeah. I
1: mean, here's I, the thing. Stoyanov I mean, and Kupras looked good in doubles. Like, that's the real piece at one. Okay, got at one, at one at doubles. You got one,
0: you got one team.
1: And Stoyanov went 0-3 against Angelica Blake. That is a convincing start that, like, everything we saw in the fall was real. Kieran and Kupras, one and one. Kieran, you would have liked to go two and oh. Kupras is stepping up in the lineup. She's stepping into a bigger role, going to be asked to be top three all year long. That she bounced back and got a win over Yepa Fanova? That's a nice bounce back for a freshman in your first weekend, Luciana Perez, to go one and one, playing three and four. Again, solid. It's Metanikov and Morales. Like, they can't afford to struggle this year, especially if Brandstein isn't coming back. And I know that question's still in the air. But that's what would drag this weekend into the seas, is they did not have a inspiring weekend of tennis.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's one way to put it. I mean, yeah, they looked really bad in doubles. Yeah. And so if you're if you're vulnerable now at doubles and five and six, now there are a lot of teams out there that can knock you off. So I do think ending the weekend with Kieran and kupris beating Connie mon yepa Fanova is a huge takeaway. So they need to find whatever fire they found in those matches and continue that on. And then they need. To, I have no doubt about Perez. Perez is going to win a lot of matches. She's very solid. She's not. I don't know about the ceiling, but she's very solid. Blockina, at that level, she played as one of the best fours you're going to see in the country, if not the best. So I think that was going to be a solid piece for them. But, yeah, it's C-. minus.
1: Yeah, All right. I'm going to go see. Here's what I would say. Don't sell your A&M stock yet. Like This team is still going to be very good come May. And now Coach Weaver and Coach Zabo get to do something they haven't gotten to do over the past th- uh, few years. They get to say, hey— you can lose. Like, remember that opening weekend? We got to work to get where yeah. we need to be come May. So, again, maybe it's a blessing to happen this early. And certainly, again, ranked losses don't hurt you as much uh, as not getting the opportunity to play those ranked matches do. So a and will have plenty of time to bounce back. As such, let's move over now to a couple of invitations. Well, I have
0: one question before Please. we move to the invitationals. So we're going to get the coaches' poll on Wednesday of this week. How far do it, they drop? Yes. Ah. Uh, does San Diego crack the top 10?
1: Should they crack the top 10, given their resume to pay, compared to everyone else that start this season
0: is a fascinating question. They
1: won't. I'll say AM drops to nine.
0: Wow, that's much farther than I thought you were going to drop them.
1: Oh, they might drop out of the top 10. Like, I mean, they lost to a non-top 16 team
0: to start Or non-top 25. San Diego's yeah. not in the top 25. Yeah, but don't you think coaches are going to look at that and go, yeah, but they didn't have Stoyana? in singles.
1: Yeah, but that's a self-inflicted wound. Like it's not our fault they Plaxico burst. Like he she played the next day. So I don't think you can give them that credit. Like yeah, that's why I think they don't fall outside of the top 16 and it's not like a disastrous decline. That's so why I went with like again, 8 or 9 feels about right. Um San Diego will certainly make a jump in the rankings, deservedly so. I wonder how high they get if it's indeed into the top 16.
0: I think they'll be right around 16, if yeah, I had to like, guess. Uh, like
1: 17, 18 feels right. And then again, do you feel justified keeping that A&M team over them at this point of the year, given San Diego played Stanford pretty tight as well? Yeah, I'm, I stick with my original answer. Uh, what do you think?
0: I don't know if they're going to be that punished. I'm going to go a little higher. I'm going to say they landed around like six or seven.
1: Here's the thing, like... I mean, again, after this weekend, it, it gets interesting because you're getting some real ranked teams going head-to-head. So those coaches pulled, they're going to have to make choices right away, and it'll be fascinating to see what choices they make, particularly coming off of a Michigan Invitational where, again, we saw some top 16 teams, some top, top, uh, top 10 teams doing battle across the board in real ways with the lineups that were rolled out in these Invitational matchups, and I like that grade system, so let's stick with it as we talk about the four teams who competed this weekend. Let's start with the highest ranked of the bunch, Georgia. They got to play singles matches against Michigan, Ohio State, doubles against all three teams. The fourth, of course, being Georgia Tech, who we'll get to at the end, I promise. Mixed bag, I would say, for the Bulldogs. You know, Vidmanova gets a win over Luciana Perry, Gigi Grant, Mel Riasco, Ezekiel Mert, all earning wins over the Buckeyes as well. The Michigan singles was a struggle. Only Riasco Lapata earned victories as, again, the rest of the team falls and. We'll talk about that when we get to the Michigan side of things. But, again, Riasco, the only player to go undefeated for the Bulldogs in singles. Minor Rundorn, tough 0-2 weekend. She lost 10-8 in the third to Lily Jones. A little bit more decisively to Audrey Spencer. In terms of the doubles, we saw played across the board for Georgia. I thought they were pretty good everywhere. They swept Georgia Tech. Uh, they went 1-3 against Ohio State and then against the Wolverines, a 3-1 overall record, including Mert Vidmanova getting a big win over eighth-ranked Kari Miller, Jaden Brown. great for the Bulldogs coming out of the Michigan Invitational. Well,
0: I'm, these grades are sort of relative to expectations. Yeah. And for me, Georgia was actually like a B B+. One thing to keep in mind is they didn't have Alex Vekic for the majority of this weekend. She was in Michigan. She did play in doubles, but in the very last uh, day. So I have to assume it was illness-related, but that would likely be their top player, so she doesn't play. The big takeaway I had was Riasco beating Flieger and Ratliff indoors uh-huh. is a pretty good sign for them. She looked all out of sorts at the ITA indoors in Seattle last year, so to beat both of those players, both of whom are very experienced indoors, those are great wins. And they actually looked quite serviceable in doubles. They got a handful of pretty good doubles wins. So for me, relative to expectations i would go b yeah i think that's perfect there were no
1: bad losses maybe spencer beating the run in three and two that's the one that stands out the most but there were no there were no disasters for this Georgia team at any point of the weekend. And what is still ultimately a first weekend of the season for Vidmanova to get a win over Luciana Perry, but lose a match to Kari Miller. Again, it's indoors, but it's a good way to, for her to get her feet wet starting out the dual match season. You mentioned it. Riasco's is the one who gets an A, A-plus for the mm-hmm. tennis she played all weekend long. But again, Lapata got a win throughout the course
0: of the weekend. Uh, you Well, look not at just it. a win. She beats Jaden Brown, who has played top two for michigan so that was a great win for lapata yeah
1: Yeah. grant gets a win mert gets a win vidmanova gets a win like everyone got their season started against tough competition so i'm not going a range because there are also some losses on the board Mm -hmm. and again they play 500 level doubles pretty much throughout the course of the weekend that's fine still things to be built on but it, it looked a lot better than what we No, had I agree, last but an season. improvement to start the season. B feels about right. It's not a finished product, but the Bulldogs are working their way into things. Let's go to the next highest-ranked team, Michigan Wolverines. Pretty good weekend if you're the Wolverines. You lose just one singles match to Georgia Tech, and it was Sharabura knocking out Bailey Shinen. All due respect to Bailey Shinen, whom's a wonderful human being. Just the depth this Michigan singles roster has. I don't think they expect to see her in their top six. Kari Miller bounces back. uh, Three-set win. Or, excuse me, not bounces back. Bounces back. I mean, weekend. continues to shine. Yeah, three. Sorry, Kari. Three sets over Carol Lee. uh, Straight sets over Dasha Vidmanova. Lily Jones, a 2-0 and weekend. I mentioned the win uh, that she got over Maya Narundorn. Gets a win over Georgia Tech in straight sets as well. Piper Charney has an undefeated weekend. Beats Mert. Uh, 10-0 in the third. Now again, third set breaker, a little bit different than a full third set, but certainly a, another promising result for the freshman to kick off her college career. And you know, again, for this Michigan team to get another shot at Georgia, yeah, they fall in the doubles 3-1, but to beat them 4-2 in singles after playing that Georgia team to end their season last year in the NCAA quarterfinals, had to feel good to just get a couple of wins across the board and in the doubles, Wolverines, 1-3 against Georgia Tech, 1-3 against Georgia. So maybe that's your biggest—3-1 uh, against Ohio State. Should mention that. But your thoughts on all things Wolverines in their opening weekend of the season obviously matters a little more given they've got that Oklahoma swing coming up. Well, first of all— Well, Georgia's oh. got UNC coming up, so that's also a lie. Big weekend for both.
0: Yeah, no, huge. Both of these teams are participating in some of those Ohio blockbuster State matches. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Uh, what happened to the power at Michigan? I mean, snowstorms hit. First of all, <laughs> let me just say, Travis Point is a
1: fantastic spot. My roommate in Sounds college lovely. spent a lot of years not just training, but coaching at Travis Point Country Club. Actually, not training. I think it was exclusively coaching in the summer. Anyways, did we get to sneak onto the Travis Point courts in the summer because of that fact? You betcha we did. Yeah, not the greatest. Um, uh, I, got, I got nothing else to say.
0: Well, you know we're back. What college tennis. I'm? We're not following defending the VTC.
1: <clears throat> yeah. We're well, back.
0: you're pretend. Yeah, you're defending the VTC. No streaming. No power. I mean, just what's going on? Uh, at least you have the football national championship to keep you warm at night. So on the Michigan side, I thought it was. Solid. I mean, Kari Miller, you talked about it. She's had a fantastic fall and she continues that form. That's great. She's clearly, you know, ready to do some damage at the number one spot. I did think doubles was a question mark. It didn't look super strong and no Anna Ross in anything. So I thought maybe she'd roll out in doubles. We didn't see that. This is the Vanderbilt transfer. And then the biggest question for me right now about Michigan is, who plays number two? It was pretty clear from sort of the matchups that we saw with Georgia and Georgia Tech that Fliegner was above uh, Jaden Brown. Jaden Brown played Lapata and Given Roach from Georgia Tech. Fliegner, Riasco, and Bilchev, some higher in the lineup players, and Jaden Brown losing to Lapata doesn't instill a ton of confidence. So overall, I would say it was like a B plus for Michigan. You know, it's on their home court, so you'd expect them to do pretty well.
1: Actually, it wasn't on their home court. So it was at Travis Point, Jay. I don't know if you heard, but yeah. I mean, again, Mesa chorito going two and zero, getting a win over mahawk Jane of Georgia Tech. That's a good win for her. You feel confident. Her bottom of the lineup, Lily Jones, two and zero. Kari going 2 0, you feel that much more confident. She is a real number one singles here moving forward. And then, again, for Julia to bounce back, beat Bilchev 1 and 2. Like, that's a really good win, even if she had the loss to Riasco the subsequent day. I guess not bounce back, but get that opening victory. Jaden Brown's still working her way back from injury. Like, that's going to be a slow burn for the Wolverines, something where, again, they can look for some upside as she gets healthier throughout the course of the season. But, seems got real depth. Like, they have six options for sure at, at every single spot. And obviously, Kari's at one. A lot of parity after that. You imagine Julia, Jaden, somewhere in that two, three range to start. Lily, Gala, uh, Piper, Charney. You're feeling pretty good. Whatever order they're in four, five, six. Yeah, they got to figure out the doubles that's been the fun part of this last 40 year stretch for Michigan women's tennis BB plus range feels about right for the Wolverines as well. Obviously we'll learn more, talk more about them in a little bit as we look. Also at their shout
0: up. out to Reese Miller who got yeah, the win over win Gigi Grant well. of it's Georgia. I thought that was a great win. Yeah.
1: yeah keeps her in the mix. If Anna Ross is healthy, you feel like you have eight players who can all fill in the singles lineup if needed in a pinch. How about the Buckeyes? Really good weekend for Ohio State, I thought. Certainly to see someone like Taya Chavez, a name you're not going to be familiar with, get a three-set win over a Lapata. to see Audrey Spencer beating a Rundorn. Obviously, they bounce back, sweep all the singles against Georgia Tech as well. Buckeyes pretty solid in doubles in every match. I mentioned the 1-3 result against Michigan, but Ohio State, 3-1 against Georgia, 2 all with Georgia Tech. You know, again, it wasn't Kantos who was always the standout player, but she got a 2 1 win over Carol Lee. Taya Chavez, a straight set win over Kylie Belcheva as well. Luciana Perez, the bounce back win over Mahak Jane. Brisniak, Audrey Spencer goes 2 0. You know, again, it's an interesting team. They got a lot of pieces, Jay. I'm not sure who fits where on this group, other than I feel like Kantos and Ratliff probably your 1 2, but. Don't sleep on the Buckeyes, not just top 16. They'll be sniffing around top 10, and they're going to beat someone
0: indoors, right? They always do. Well, they're the best team in January. Uh, yeah. We've seen that. And, over and the, first week of February. Week of February, exactly. Yeah. Although, we'll see. They're going on the road this year, so they're outside mm-hmm. of that Columbus environment. Ohio State gets an A for me. Yeah. I Did not expect these results on paper. We actually got a question. To beat Bilchev, sorry to cut you off, to beat
1: Bilchev and Lapata,
0: like, come on. Yeah, that's huge. And on paper, I was going to say, we got a question about this in a mailbag episode I did. And I was like, Ohio State, there's like a big drop off on paper for their five and six. You know, you know, Kantos, Ratliff, Berezniak, you've seen all those pieces. Who plays five and six? Well, Chavez and Spencer looked really great in these matches. That was a huge revelation for me. So I'm excited about Ohio State. They're always sniffing around the top 10. So absolutely, they will continue to do so, particularly if they can get some early indoor wins. Yeah, it was an impressive weekend for them.
1: It's an underrated team because that's an old team. That's an experienced team. It's a team who...
0: Across the board, don't don't
1: look at me like that.
0: Like, yeah. oh, well, we just talked about two freshmen, Tia Shavez. No, sure, and- but I'm, I'm saying so.
1: outside of that, like to have those two freshmen be surrounded by, a f- you know, the Cantos,es the Ratliff, the Borisniaks, the again, just the Bonds, who's on this roster as well. These players who have just been around college tennis for a while. It's a fascinating contrast. It's an interesting mix. Like again. Florida, Auburn, Ohio State, all are these combinations of talent and experience. Where it's like any other year, that's a pretty clear cut top 10 team. It's just like we still have that depth, uh, that talent spread out across women's college tennis this year. I think it's going to lead to a lot of parody, like we have seen in the opening weekend. And we don't speak ill of the deceased. So we're not going to cover Georgia Tech's performance in the Michigan Invitational. <laughs> um, you know, again. Tough weekend for Carol Lee, Tough weekend for Kylie Bilchev. Tough weekend for the Yellow Jackets overall. So I think it's we probably can the first
0: there. F any of them have ever received.
1: Yeah. <laughs> People say we don't make jokes anymore, Jay. I I think right now there's proof of No, people it. say
0: you don't make jokes anymore.
1: I, I, I know. That's my <laughs> proof that uh, I still do. Anyways, let's move on to our final invitational. It happened at UNLV. I apologize that I forget what the exact name of the event was. but Freeman let's Memorial. The Freeman Memorial Tournament. Thank you. Let's start, again, three teams I want to talk about. Pepperdine, Oklahoma State, Florida. Let's start with the Waves. B B minus overall. You have Czar Brodus going two and one against really good competition. Zar beats Ob. Brodus beats Komar. I think. I think Obi ended up beating Brodus and Komar ended up beating Zar, So they kind of exchanged there at the one and two spots. But that's really good results. Uh, again, for Lisa Czar making her 2023-24 debut. She's right back where we remembered her. Brodus, I think Zar also each get wins uh, over Florida players. For Brodus, it's a win over Sarah Dahlstrom. For Zarr, it's a win over Carly Briggs. Chen and Brodus did their things in doubles, as they always do. Nikki Redelick got a couple of good wins as well. A win over Kimi Hantz, who we saw from UCLA, who I guess we, we'll talk about when we do our preview. Um, Redelick, I think, 1-2 overall in the weekend. Losses to Lucia Pyre, Ayumi Miyamoto, otherwise... It was really Czar Broda-centric in terms of the success. Again, Redelick 1-2, and two. Janice Chen I think 1-2 losses to Kimmy Hantz, Bianca Fernandez of UCLA respectively, a win over UNLV's Salsa here as well. That's concerning because you feel like Chen's got to be a staple of that top three for this Pepperdine team to have success. You know, again, we saw some Jasmine Conway, we saw some Vivian Young, certainly some new pieces for the Waves, but... It's certainly no higher than a B minus B, like for Pepperdine in their opening weekend. Maybe less than that, given the Chen struggles.
0: Yeah, C minus. I was <laughs> underwhelmed by Pepperdine's performance. It was great to see Lisa Zarr back. She played fantastic. It, you know, destroyed Obi and Briggs. But look, I'll say this right now: this entire Pepperdine season hinges on Janice Chen and whether or not she continues to backslide. If she does. This is not a top eight team. If she doesn't, and she's the Janice Chen that we have seen before, this is absolutely top eight, semifinal worthy team. I think the biggest thing that also brings this grade down is between Redlick, Campania, Yang, Conway, like no one really jumped out. And some of those were new faces that you wanted to see. You just didn't see it. So C-minus for Pepperdine.
1: Yeah, Redlick was fine. Like again, she had a tough, the third toughest slate of all, I suppose, the Pepperdine players was, in singles. But
0: but yeah, C is
1: average, and yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> Cs get degrees, as the kids say. Yeah, it's a top 16 team, but you're right. If Chen slides, they are not a top 18. Like, they need her to be at her best. The player who we saw make an NCAA semifinal as a freshman be really good to send the lineup just each and every week for Pepperdine in her first year at the job for the Waves a couple of seasons ago. Six and five overall in doubles. Like, I mean, again, all right. Whatever, well, or maybe it was six and six over, or six and five. That can't be right. Anyways, here's the point: it's B minus C plus C. Yeah, again, like not the strongest showing for the waves to kick off their year. On the Florida side of things, everyone got a win. But here's my fun fact: no one from Florida got two wins throughout the course of the weekend. Carly Briggs uh, got a default win over Fung Run Tian. She loses to Lisa zar uh, those were her two results of the weekend. You okay, had. that's a
0: generous one Yeah, win. so that
1: doesn't count. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't look at the by default. I apologize. That's not where I should have started. It's week number one. This is why we're not on video yet. Ravinska, 6-1 in the third. She won her first match, lost 5-4 and four to Luke Meyer. Bent to Spey, 6-4 in the third. She beat Christina Novak. Uh, she defaulted from her second match. Dahlstrom gets a win over a UNLV player. Loose in three to Brodus. Oh, Briggs, that's what it was. She got the win over Zita Kovacs of UNLV. Not the default win. So, pff, to you, Jay, um, even though it was my screw-up. Kavya Lopez, a win over UNLV. Uh, again, that was her only victory. No one got two wins, like, for the Gators. Spey and Dudney got a win in doubles over Zara and Conway. Ravinska Lopez, a win over Wagle and Hans. So, that's an impressive win there. Dahlstrom and Sophie Williams get a win over a UNLV pairing. Again, it was 500 ball across the board for Florida against two top-ten teams and an interesting team in UCLA there this weekend as well. Maybe we should talk about them. Your thoughts on everything we saw from Florida?
0: Tough to judge Florida here, and they didn't have Olivia uh, Emily de Oliveira, who had such a great fall. They didn't have Rachel Galis mm-hmm. as well, so they didn't have their full lineup here. And many of these other teams did have the full slate of players. So I really don't put any stock into these results. It's almost like an NA for me.
1: Mm, sure. I can live with that description, and we can move on to Oklahoma State. Same deal. Like, we didn't see a ton from the Cowgirls. Certainly, Obi, Komar to split their matches with Brodus, Zar, respectively. I thought Lucia Pyre, uh, Raquel Gonzalez both had pretty solid weekends. I mean, again, like, this was BB+, maybe in the in the truest sense of they passed expectations in a good, not great sense.
0: I give this a solid B. You know, sure. Komar and Obi— are who we know them to be. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Pyre going two and one, beating Redlick and Kavya Lopez, good wins. Uh, both Pyre and Miyamoto lose to Bianca Fernandez, who we should definitely talk about. Gonzalez actually looked pretty solid. She looked like their fifth best player here. She wins her draw. I think there are definitely questions about Carrington and Novak and who factors into that sixth spot. Neither one of them looked good in this debut, but by and large, most of their players look solid here. Good be. Yeah.
1: All right. Last but not least, you're right. Let's talk UCLA for a moment because they were a team we had under the spotlight entering uh, this year, a team we had the most questions about maybe of any team in the country because you're just not sure who was coming back, what the roster was going to look like. I can tell you officially Kimmy Hance is back, and you know she gets a win over Acavia Lopez this weekend, gets a win. I'm blanking uh, over, was it Radelik or Chen? I forget which one she beat for Pepperdine, but a win there as well. She beat um, Chen. That's what it was. Thank you. She's back for another season. Fang tien didn't play this weekend, but she's listed on the roster. Feels like she will be back for the year as well. You mentioned freshman Bianca Fernandez. She played a real role uh, throughout the course of the weekend. Wagle, Vagramov, Vanessa Ong, Anna Christine, Luke Meyer. Like, now all of a sudden, this team, you kind of see the pieces fit together. And That's just a friendly reminder. This team went to Duke and beat them. Round two of the NCAA tournament last year. Obviously, it's a team with uncertain expectations. They had two Iowa State for the opening kickoff weekend. Guess who they face round number one, Jay? A team by the name of Oklahoma State. Your clear-cut, most fascinating round one match of kickoff weekend. Winner of that, going to face the Iowa State Old Dominion winner, which will be the far easier of the two matches for both teams. I mean, again... Welcome back, UCLA, to the conversation.
0: This is a top 16 roster, Jay. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly with the addition of Bianca Fernandez, a late addition, I think that was announced either, I think, December. Uh, so for her to go 3-0, and destroying Peire from Oklahoma State, 1-0, beating Miyamoto as well from Oklahoma State in straight sets, beating Janice Chen in three sets, this is a fantastic addition. She looks like she's very capable of playing anywhere from two through four in this lineup. And that adds some really good depth for them. They're basically rolling back that entire lineup who beat Duke with the absence of Ava Katanzarite, who was transferred to Oklahoma, but swap her out for Bianca Fernandez and this team again, on paper absolutely a top 16 team
1: don't sleep on a Monty shard either she got a win over sophie williams this weekend freshman yeah, that was
0: probably the disappointment of
1: the weekend well here's what i'm saying is she's a former top 10 junior in her class right she's so just a talented. name that you have to keep an eye on as a seventh player in the mix if there's an injury or maybe she finds her form down the oh place, yeah right? i think she, she plays yeah that's that's my point more broadly is i don't think we had mentioned that name yet and she's on this roster as well I assume Mia Jovich is Eva's older sister. I don't know much about her game, but two Joviches from California who play tennis. It's not adding up for me, Jay. Again, it's an interesting roster. Like uh, uh, UCLA finds a way always to become fascinating in every season that you and I have been doing this show together. You look at their non-conference schedule. They've got Texas this weekend. Again, kickoff weekend against Oklahoma State. They've got Duke coming to town. They're at Ohio State as well. We're going to have plenty of time to talk about the UCLA Bruins throughout the course of this 2024 season and with them in mind Jay last but not least before we go let's talk about the week ahead what a second weekend for the college tennis season it's a shame it goes up against the Australian Open but it's actually not a shame because guess what the Australian Open happens at night and after midnight College tennis happens during the day, my friends, and we got plenty of intriguing action across the board here. We're going to rapid fire through two, four, six, eight. Eight different matches that I think are must-follow matches for college tennis fans here. And I mean rapid-fire, Dre, in the truest sense. I mean I want your key to the match, and I want your prediction. Or maybe if it's not key to the match, it's the thing you're watching in each of these. I will do the same as well. Let's start on the UNC side. Don't ooh me. It's (laughs) because we're not calling. Well, except for the matches we're broadcasting, which I'll get to at the end. We'll save that for the grand finale. UNC-Auburn.
0: Okay, what I'm watching is where does uh, Angie Okatoyi play for this Auburn Mm. lineup? She has made some really deep runs in the ITF. She's been looking fantastic. That's what I'm watching on the Auburn side. On the UNC side, I am looking for the presence of Annika Yarlagada, who was absent in their opening weekend. Prediction, North Carolina 4-1.
1: Very fair for me, it's yeah. What's four, five, six for this Auburn team? Because I do think, you know, again, the experience Arsenault, the experience Ansari have, they're going to be two of the top three. Does Ovunk regain that spot right away, or is it Anokatoye? And then after that, again, their depth is where they should thrive because they've got a lot of different options there, including their new freshman four through six. Obviously, that depth gets tested when you face off against the Tar Heels um, on their side of things. Who is playing? Who's out? Like we we sucked. We didn't see Crawley last weekend. Obviously, different level. We saw her in
0: singles and doubles. Did we? Mm -hmm.
1: In one of the matches, I think one of them. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, she and Reese split. You're right. That's what it was. And so again, you're going to see them both. Where do they play? What's what does the top of that lineup look like this year? Is it the same? Are they rolling back the same top three from last year? Are there some changes with what we've seen in the off season? I think UNC wins four—I'll go four-two. No, I'll go four-one. But there are going to be at least three three-set matches and singles in that battle. That's just what UNC does. National Indoor NCA semifinal recap. U- uh, rematch. UNC versus UGA. Again, this one's in Chapel Hill. Keys to the match for Georgia. Key for UNC. Prediction from you, Jay.
0: Oh, I'm taking some liberties on these keys to the match, and I'm just looking more about, like, questions. And to me, yeah. I still have a lot of open questions about how good Alexandra Vekic is. We've only seen her play three collegiate singles matches. She will likely be at number one for Georgia here. She will get to test the elite of college tennis. That is a fascinating match for me on the Georgia side. We don't. I don't have any questions on the North Carolina side. So for me... This has always been a spicy early season match in the past three to four years. So I expect it to be close. I think North Carolina takes it. I'll go 4-3.
1: I'm going to take the Tar Heels 4-2. Who's the four singles player for UGA? Like, who is that fourth person? Because I think Vetch, Bidmanova, Riasco is the clear-cut top three. Who steps up as four in that lineup to start? What's the doubles configuration look like as well? I'll take the Tar Heels 4-2 in that one. All right, we're going to change it up so that we can do this next one quicker. Oklahoma, Michigan, Ohio State, Oklahoma State—a little four-team quad. The Buckeyes, Wolverines, traveling to Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, respectively. Here's the scenario: This team goes two and zero if let's start with the Cowgirls.
0: Okay. Uh, this, no preparation. This is yeah, how we. are back. Is, uh, Oklahoma State will go two and zero if they go two and zero at six. That's well said. That's, Does that work? That, that that works really
1: well. Oklahoma <laughs> okay. State goes 2-0. and Honestly, <laughs> if they go 2-0 and at 6 is probably the exact answer, Jay, because depth, that's the key. Is mm-hmm. the depth as real as it seemed to look with Pyre, with Miyamoto, all these different players having these massive falls on top of that top 2 now of Komar and Obi, which, by the way, who's 1, who's 2? I am excited to see that choice as well. Um yeah, I, you, you said it perfectly there for Oklahoma State. Let's go with the other host. What do the Sooners have to do to go two and zero? They're two and zero if oh, Jay made a face as if to say they ain't two and zero.
0: No. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, Oklahoma goes two and zero if they go two and zero in doubles. Oklahoma
1: he- goes two and zero if Emma Staker goes two and zero because if she's back. I think I trust their depth. Like, I think her being back, because I think Guzman, Shishirbina, like, they're going to have some options up top. It's the depth. I don't know who fits where after that.
0: But that's why I went with doubles, because we saw the success of Shishirbina and Guzman in the fall. Sure. If they go to a no, you have to believe. They've got six options that really, I mean, you can play them in a lot of different places. I think they could find three singles matches against both of these teams.
1: It's fair. If Staker's back and playing the tennis we saw from her her freshman year and again it's bridging a big if. the gap between that. Yeah, I agree. That's why, again, that's my they go 2-0 oh if. It's a big if to ask that of the Sooners. Again, a couple of really good indoor teams coming to town. Wolverines go 2-0 oh if, Jay, what?
0: Mm. Well, I think it's a cop-out to say, you know, if Jaden Brown goes 2-0 oh or something <laughs> uh, because Clearly. Uh I'll go if they go two and no at four, Kay. I think they win this match. I think that's sort of the uh, the Seesaw position for them right now.
1: I'm gonna say if Jaden Brown goes to no, I'm just kidding. Um I'm gonna say not Gala. I'm gonna go with Piper Charney. First dual matches for a freshman are always tough. And, and these her, are tough dual to matches. Yeah, very tough on the road. Oklahoma is going to have an environment. Oklahoma State certainly will as well. They're playing back to back. I forget if it's Michigan or Ohio State who has the back to back with the men on Friday. But um, yeah, that's fascinating. And so again, where she plays, can she go two and O be a contributor right away? That's my biggest what if for Michigan coming into the weekend. Last but not least, Buckeyes. They go two and O if.
0: Ah. Uh. The only way Ohio State begins the path to get to 2-0 and is Kantos needs to win both her matches at 1.
1: Yeah, I think that's where I was going to go as well. If not, They need to go 3-1 and one at the 1-2 and two spots between Ratliff and Kantos on the weekend. And I don't think— yeah, They need they, big I, production. Because yeah, those are the veterans to start. And as good as Tea Chavez was in weekend number one again, dual matches, a different environment. And so with that in mind, worth noting, we're going to have both of those Oklahoma State women's matches excuse me, the Oklahoma State-Michigan-Oklahoma State-Ohio State State matches Friday-Sunday available for you on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Now, if this was the YouTube version of The Deciding Point, we'd have a graphic up for you telling you exactly what time those matches are, perhaps even a link to direct you to immediately. Instead, I have... Bought enough time to let you know the Michigan match Friday, 6 p.m. at the Greenwood Tennis Center. The Ohio State match, 12 p.m. on Sunday at the Greenwood Tennis Center. By the way, we're going to have Oklahoma State men taking on Middle Tennessee in the match before the Michigan-Oklahoma State nightcap. So join us all Friday for some college tennis throughout the day as we kick off our 2024 broadcast, Jay.
0: How exciting. Oklahoma State versus Michigan, 6 p.m. Friday night. I mean, what better thing to do in Stillwater than go and see this match and get prepared for the NCAAs coming in May?
1: I'm also just going to throw this out there. I don't think he'd mind me sharing. Why do we have this match on our broadcast, Jay? Because I shamelessly, shamelessly, Pleaded for them in our preview podcast. And Chris Young texts me and goes, hey, that's a good idea. You want to broadcast the matches? I was like, yes, I was serious. And so shout out to you, Chris Young, for making things happen. Excited that him and this squad gets to host uh, the NCAA tournament this year. Obviously excited to get to host their match on our Cracked Records uh, platform this weekend. Again, Oklahoma State taking on the Michigan women. A top eight matchup right out of the the gates. 6 p.m. Friday Oklahoma State versus Ohio State, 12 p.m. Sunday. Those are both central times. So 7 p.m. Eastern time on Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday. We have a doubleheader, by the way, for now at least, on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, weather pending, because Texas is at you. Oh, before we get there, I should have said, I, I said what will happen. Give me the records. Let's start. Oklahoma State goes what this weekend? 2-0. Ohio State? Ooh, I don't no, know. no, no.
0: All right, is I'm just, know? I'm going with it. I know, right. 2-0, o- but o- that Oklahoma. Michigan match can be tough. One and one. Oklahoma, uh, Michigan? One and one.
1: So then by process of elimination, Ohio State, 0-2 for Jay.
0: <sighs> I think it hinges on the Oklahoma State-Michigan match, which is great because it's on the Cracked Rackets YouTube.
1: I'm not predicting the Oklahoma State matches, and I'm on the broadcast for both. <sighs> If Michigan loses to Oklahoma State, they're going to beat Oklahoma on Sunday. If Michigan wins against Oklahoma State, they're going to beat Oklahoma on Sunday. So I'll take Michigan to win. I'll take Oklahoma to beat Ohio State. I think they're both going to be really good 4-3 matches. Like I, I'm struggling to make a prediction here. That's why we've gotten out of this business. I'll say Michigan 4-3 over Oklahoma. I'll say Oklahoma 4-2 over
0: Ohio State. Yeah, next week's episode, we're going to have a lot to break down.
1: Yeah, it's going to be very fun because last but not least, Texas goes west. And again, they're Nicholas now. No Kieran, no Rivkin. Uh, obviously a lot of new faces for this Texas roster. They're starting to try and work in a lot of talented faces, including one by the name of Maya joined who We don't get this year, but hopefully we'll get in the future for this Texas program because the 17 year old had herself a first month of the season on the pro circuit. Anyways, Texas going West. They're at UCLA at USC this weekend. Again, we just talked about how fascinating this UCLA roster is. They're going to have a real chance right away to prove it against the top 10 team in Texas, USC, as always, Similarly fascinating. Yes, Uh, they lost Maddie Sieg uh, off to the pro circuit. But you look at what this USC women's tennis roster brings back. Cayetano back for another season. Snow Han back for another season. Naomi Chung back for another season. Sophomore Emma Charney seems poised to make a big leap this year. They bring in a couple of talented freshmen as well. Lily Fairkoff, Emojin I- Haddad. Jay, again, I I never know what to expect exactly out of this USC roster. I never know exactly what to expect out of UCLA, and I never know what to expect out of January, Texas. A lot of unknowns heading into it. What are you looking to learn most from these three teams?
0: Well, the biggest unknown for Texas right now is Charlotte KP from Australia is not on the roster yet for Texas. So whether or not she plays will be a big question mark. For UCLA, I think the order of their two through six will be fascinating. I hope Fang tian is healthy. She was not playing in the Las Vegas event. She defaulted that. And then we've seen UCLA pull these upsets. You know, we saw them beat Ohio State at home last year. USC, there's a lot of pieces we need to figure out four through six. I think we know we're going to see Charney, Cayetano, Snow Han in some order, one through three. Everything else, big question mark. Overall, Texas is making the trip. I think they go one and one. All right. There it is. Who's the one? I uh, I think UCLA is gonna win.
1: All right. And there it is, I think juice. it's gonna start
0: the whole like UCLA train that we've started to see here on today's show. Well, Texas
1: USC is gonna be on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. That's two PM Eastern time, assuming the weather holds out, so be on the lookout for that. Texas at UCLA, I can predict. Am I going to buy the Bruins buzz? Is it going to take one episode for me to just be all in and make a dumb Texas decision right away? That's exactly what it's going to take, Jay. I'll take the Bruins as well for two. I don't make predictions for matches on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. So, again, I suppose be on the lookout for that one Sunday, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Starts an hour after that Michigan match. It'll be separate broadcasts for those two as we have these individual streams here early. Obviously, we will be back next week, though, to preview the 2024 ITA kickoff weekend. So, on top of that, we'll be recapping what happens this weekend as well. Jay, we got so much tennis. It'll be a jam-packed, dare I say, a two-hour show.
0: Yeah, well, I was going to say a two-show two, two show week. I mean, I think both uh, of those things deserve own now coverage.
1: Now we're talking My Speed 2 on YouTube, too. We show off the new studio. We show off our smiling faces. We get into the coverage. Jay, you know what that sounds like? That sounds like a plan, my friend. So stick with us. Obviously, we've got plenty of Australian Open coverage across our Cracked Records platforms as well. But the college tennis season is underway. We'd never neglect it. So excited to have another season of Deciding Points for all of you. Hopefully, again, you'll join us on YouTube next week, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, Tuesday nights for the College Tennis uh, D1 Women's Update, Wednesday nights for the D1 Men's Update. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Danny Westoff, for the f- of event editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout-out, as well, uh, to all of you listeners, who we hope will continue to interact with us and make this College Tennis season special. Certainly, last season, such a pleasure uh, for me jay to be able to cover it all i imagine i speak for you when i say that as well looking forward to this year being just as if not more exciting with that said any final thoughts jay you ready to wrap today's show that of course we did indeed go over an hour during
0: <laughs> yeah this was gonna be the short one right so buckle in folks <laughs> but yeah no i'm looking forward to this season and uh, i think we can start it off strong All right. Well, then with all that said, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel
1: Westhoff, our friends uh, at Tennis Point, all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow night to talk about the men's action. Thanks, everyone.